It's time for Truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's time for Truth exists to glorify God through the edification of His saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I'm your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I'm joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you once again for joining us. Uh, We are glad that you have made us part of your day as we continue to speak on all things uh, economics and finances and these things that uh, really affect all of us day to day. And we were, of course, the podcast before the podcast, uh, just talking about uh, just matters of life that relate to this this issue of how we live in this world. Uh, we are economic creatures, and our families are economies. And so we, these are things that we need to consider and think through. Uh, we need to think through them on a high level, but then we want to also get practical and get down into the dirt, as it were, to speak about the things that uh, that really affect us. And we will get to a variety of those um, in the episode today, as well as as well as into the future. Uh, today's uh, topic uh, is a, an important one, a good one. I think it's it's one of the foundation points of a biblical worldview of economics, and 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 we've already touched on it. We we've kind of had some riffing uh, in the last couple of episodes and mentioned uh, several times the concept of private pro- property, and we want to talk about that specifically and hone in on that subject today. Um, it is a, a pillar of capitalism, and it is it's a clear direction from God regarding his view of property rights in in his word. And so we want to uh, address some of those things today. Uh, The Bible is pro-property rights, and there are, again, lots of passages that uh, that really support it and exemplify it, and uh, we want to uh, think through and talk about some of these matters that relate to these issues of private property today. Before we get into the subject, Jim, how are you today? Uh, Doing really good, Danny. And this is a really important topic. I really jump right into this. I think Last week, uh, we talked a little bit about having children and how they're not just mouths to feed, that actually growing a family and going out and multiplying is an important part of Genesis 1. And today we're talking about another piece, which is the dominion piece, which is to actually go and bring order to the disorder that's out there right now. And an important part of that is the ability to actually have private property, to own things so that you can work them, so that you can actually bring those mouths to feed and you know, bear order on the world. And I would suggest, Jim, that the matter of private property <clears throat> does come back to the way and the order of cre- of God's creation. As man being made in, in God's image, we start with the recognition that we are, cre- are created creatures. We are, we are made. We did not make ourselves. And it starts with the ownership of God. Uh, God is one who owns everything. And so this world belongs to him. You know, we you hear the phrase, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills and the cattle and everything else in the world also. The idea is that there is nothing that is outside of God's sovereignty. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go to the idea of private property being that which you have sovereignty over, that you have control over. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll detail that out a little bit further. But it starts with the recognition that everything belongs to God and including including us but yet he chose to make creatures in his image he uh, we've been talking about on um, the lord's days speaking about the third commandment he named us he named man but then he gave man naming rights and that is a a demonstration that god has given to man uh, again god owns everything but then he has given to man a stewardship and a role in this world uh, to have uh, sovereignty, little s sovereignty, over the things of the earth, and he's given us this world for our, for our good. He's given this world to us to take dominion and to, uh, and to manage. So we talk about stewardship, that's the idea of being a manager. But it's even more than that, that, that as a manager, 
we have portions divided up and and every man is able to take dominion and ownership over personal property wherein he has a measure of control and then is and then is to to work that property uh, to be productive and to glorify God in it with what uh, is produced and how you how you do it. Like I said, just as at the opening, uh, our families are a form of an of a small economy, and so those are uh, those are things for us to consider. Yeah, it's really interesting too. I mean, we've got a we've got this built into the United States Constitution. We have the Bill of Rights, and you can hear it built into there. First off, we have freedom of religion, which means we can practice this dominion taking, which which means we have this right to private property, but you've got it built in in terms of unreasonable searches and seizures as well. So it's it's in two of our 10 Bill of Rights as citizens of the United States. And I think that we forget about literally what our rights are, not only under God's authority, but even under the government. I think, you know, everybody ignores that and it's built into the, it's built into that. And I think we've got to be careful and understand it. And how do we apply that is the key. And that's just recognizing what, I, what I'm trying to say is that, the idea of private property rights are built into the fabric of God's order, right? And and pro- property is an ex- it's, it's an important thing. See, people sometimes think, "Oh, it's just property." Uh, a pr- property is a thing that is an extension of 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 you. Uh, when it when something belongs to you, it's important to you. You have a uh, an identity sometimes, even with the things that are that you're uh, that you own. And they they are useful to you. They are tools for you. Um, they uh, people have such a tie to the to the land and to a home. Those are those are places where your values are are found. And so they just like the idea of work, right? To not work or to not have work is a very emasculating thing. Right. Uh, a, a, a man's identity, a man's um, not total identity, right? Where identity is in Christ, but in terms of of being made in God's image for the purpose of work, like God has created us for these things. That when a man is not able to work, or or has lost his job, he feels like less of a man. It's the same type of thing, and it's a demoralizing effect when people do not have private property when 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 it is stolen. There, there's a real sense of loss and a violation because it, your property is an extension of yourself. Uh, the things that you make, the things that you own, the things that are your tools, um, all those things, they are, uh, they are extensions of us. And so uh, the Lord has placed that even in our hearts, and we need to be taking those things seriously and uh, make sure that we understand even on a, on a policy, political level, what God is, is doing with that and, and how things should work. Because again, what we're fighting against is a lot of evangelicalism today that suggests that economics and finances, those are just secular uh, secular things. These are, they're necessary evils, but they're not something that the Bible actually uh, overtly takes a stand on. So you can have these today leftist uh, Democrat churches uh, as a for instance, or just your, uh, we actually ignoring it. We don't want to talk about it because it's unspiritual sort of thing. Uh, we would want to reject that. And so therefore we want to talk about uh, some of these things. And I warned you, we're going to talk about this at some point in the podcast. It's the idea the United States has the right to eminent domain. And a lot of people don't even know what that means anymore, Danny. It's it's surprising how uneducated people are when you start talking through that. And uh, it's an important topic. It is. There's a lot to it. And uh, we're going to get to that a little bit later. I keep saying we're going to get to stuff. Uh, well, eventually <laughs> we're going to have to get to stuff. Psalm 112 verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Wealth and riches are in his house. And it just highlights a, a passage like that, that, um, that, that part of God's blessing is tangible. It is in things uh, that we can see and touch and use and really deal with at matters of wealth. Right. And so the Lord uh, does bless his people with that. And actually, that's one of the things that we're looking forward to, to glory, is that there will be a, a, a absence of want. But, there were, uh, but actually, you're studying this in your, in your Bible study on Wednesday nights in Middleton, Jim, uh, the idea that not everything will just be a communist utopia in heaven, that there is going to be work and that there is going to be a variety of reward. There's some people will experience loss, uh, but it, uh, but it will be when you have an absence of sin, then we'll, uh, there's going to be, uh, I think uh, I think there's still going to be, in my view, 
a difference of gifting and a difference of how we work. It's just going to be without sin, and so there's going to be great flourishing and so forth to come. But even in this world, we have a, a taste of that as God gives blessings to his people, especially as rewards for obedience, like we uh, like we should understand. And we see that. A lot of people use Abraham as an example because he sojourned, so he didn't have a house. Well, he had a pretty nice tent to begin with. It wasn't it wasn't uh, the Coleman tent that we think of in the pop-up. You know, he had clear, great wealth. He was blessed greatly by God, and his sons were blessed. And you just see this continually if you're obedient to God. We talked about it before. Wisdom and wealth go together. And it's not a guarantee, but wisdom in God definitely leads to blessings. What they look like can differ. No, that's right. And I think Job is a great case oh. uh, study as well. So Job um, is a, um, a leader. He's a wealthy man. He has a family, and yet even when you're walking with the Lord, um, you, you can't have your identity wrapped up in your possessions. Right. They can be gone in a moment, just like they were for Job. And the Lord uh, allowed Job to undergo some significant testing that his faith might shine through. And some of that means that uh, in God's purposes and his sovereign plan, that sometimes we do with less. Sometimes that is the result of our weaknesses and our sin. Uh, sometimes it is not. It is the result of God's purposes meted out in our lives to strengthen our faith and to cause us to depend more upon him. Because again, we can idolize things as well. And so um, it doesn't make the things bad. It just makes our hearts uh, that much more uh, important to focus on in terms of of who we are worshiping and, and what we're doing with our lives. And so Job loses his uh, some of his family, uh, most of his family. He loses his children. He loses his possessions and even health. his health, his ability to make wealth, right. his ability to to provide for himself and his family. He really gets brought down low to the point of destitution. Yeah, he was sitting because he was uncomfortable. <laughs> Like he had sores. Because he, he couldn't go to work. Right. right? And uh, he probably didn't have Aflac back at the day, back at that time. Right. And so uh, no one was there to pay his bills. And uh, so he was brought extremely low to the point of poverty, uh, both in health and in wealth. And so, um, but what we also see is the flip side of that, that as, as his faith is tested and as he comes out the other side, blessing God, that the Lord um, doesn't just leave him, oh, okay, well, I found out what I wanted, and then leaves him there. The reality is, is that he blesses him well beyond what he had formerly. And it just shows the, the goodness of God and his desire to bless his people. And, uh, and, and again, we are awaiting an ultimate blessing, but there are, there are principles in the Scripture that speak about how we are to consider wealth, how we are to pursue wealth, uh, how we are to use wealth for the glory of God, and uh, and God delights in blessing his people tangibly with good things to enjoy in this world. Yeah, and we said it last week, and we'll say it again. This isn't prosperity gospel. We're not saying, if you do this, then you will get this. There is clearly a dependency on God, and he's sovereign in his choice of who he blesses and who he doesn't based on his plan and his glory. So we just got to keep that in mind and, and make sure we're highlighting that, because Job is a good example. It's a, it's a good example where there was nothing that Job rightly did wrong. Matter of fact, he was, I love that he was anticipating and praying for his sons who might be sinning. It, it's this mm -hmm. idea of my kids are out of the house. And, you know, Danny, that's where we're at, that you still pray for your sons not knowing what they're doing. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a beautiful picture. Well, and that reminds me a little bit, I think, of our conversation I had last night at Bible study. But another thing in that is... Uh, it's so important, uh, listener, that uh, our hearts do need to be right in this matter. Uh, if, if your desire is to be rich, um, if, if that's if that's your idol, if that's really what you are, if you're about self gratification, if you're about honor, g gaining honor for yourself more than it is regarding building the kingdom of God and wanting to see Him glorified and and, and in that. Then this is um, this is going to result in a mess for you. However, the Lord does give us a variety of ways to um, to be motivated in our Christian lives. I was talking about this last night. Some and, and uh, I've talked about this before in the Book of Proverbs and other places that sometimes God gives the motivation of 
if you if if you don't do what's right, then you're going to get a stick. So for the sake of not wanting the stick, right? That if you don't want the rod of discipline, then do what's right. Sometimes we want our kids to have a, a, a healthy fear of mom and dad that I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, that is a legitimate motivation from Scripture. Another legitimate motivation of Scripture is the desire for blessing. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to have these good things? And sometimes we just turn that turn our nose up at that. Oh no, it's wrong to desire the good, the the, the the rewards, the benefits. It should be just for just for God Himself. Well, God doesn't do it that way. God God says if if you will do this, there is great reward that is is for you. Um, well, I'd like a reward. Right. Then I'll I'll serve you. Right. And 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 so there is a reward. Sometimes it is because it's right. Yep. Um, God says do this or don't do that. I am the Lord because I have the right to tell you what to do and not to do, and because this is right. So for the sake of duty, for the sake of of right versus wrong, we want to honor the Lord and do what is and, and do what is right. Uh, there's just a variety of ways that God motivates us, and it, I would argue that it is a legitimate motivation. Uh, to to say, I, I want to be blessed. I want my family to be blessed uh, uh, physically, in terms of our resources, in terms of our home, in terms of our our finances, in terms of the things that we get to enjoy in this world. Because again, I I, I think it's a low view. It's a, it's a it's a gnostic idea of the flesh and the physical world is bad. To say, well, we shouldn't want the to enjoy you know riding a four wheeler or having a motorhome right. or or uh, enjoying the enjoying guns or whatever else, or, or or being on a lake with a, with a boat. Oh no, those are those are fleshly things, and Christians really shouldn't be, you know, spending money or having that much money that they're not spending on missionaries. Well, n- no, I, I don't. I I disagree with that. I think that those are all parts of of having a worldview that says I want to uh, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Part of enjoying God is enjoying the world He has made and right. using the blessings that we reap when we sow good things. Yeah, and this is why I'm excited about us going through this because we've got to get we've got to get the total context of what God desires and what his intentions are in his word including things like inheritance and we're going to have a, a topic just on that and, and the importance of leaving an inheritance to your children. So many people spiritualize that. They say, "Oh, if you just if they're just believers, then you have done your duty in inheritance." No, it actually talks, you know, you see the examples in scripture of them giving the land and giving their goods to them and so it's leaving them rightly for who they are individually designed by God. And so we need to talk about that and what that causes you to do, what it should cause you to do, what I'm hoping it causes you to do is that you don't squeeze wealth and you don't squeeze money is that you hold it into your palm loosely looking at God's plan as to how to use it. I think that that's critical. And, and it starts with that right attitude. I was very fortunate before I was a believer. Um, my father instilled work in me, but we didn't have any biblical sense. And so I'm going to school, you know, at a, at a very high end engineering school for electrical engineering. But my thought process, Danny was, if I can just make what my dad made who worked at the post office, Mm. then I'm going to be okay. Like, this is going to be great. I'm going to be happy. And like electrical engineers make a lot more than people at the post office. It's just a supply and demand issue. So I came out very blessed but it was never about the money. So that was that was the beauty is, is as I was growing in my work and success and then coming to the Lord, it put it all in perspective. I'm working for God. It really allowed me and afforded me to see you hold on to it lightly and you see what he does through you and then you use it wisely. And so part of our blessings, and we've been very blessed in this area so far, again, that could go away tomorrow. That's right. So hold on to it lightly. But part of our blessings is we've been able to, to round out our worldview we have a much larger worldview of what's happening around the world because of the things that we participated in. That's a blessing that mm-hmm. I, we were able to bring our kids into that view. And we understood the importance of exposing them to the rest of the world's cultures for the purpose of them understanding how blessed they are here. So what you're saying is that wealth can be a very good thing. It can be a very good thing. It can be a very good thing. Very good thing. Um, and so we need to be um, mindful of that. And and in some ways, you do have to have a focus on it. And, and we think, though, that focusing on it is carnal or thinking on, focusing on it has a is a non-spiritual exercise and again as in, in a complex world that is that is material and spiritual that they are that they are unified and measured together we um, we 
can have a clear conscience and say, uh, let's talk about things like uh, gaining, building, uh, advancing Christian understanding of private property. And uh, and especially, I, I just want to tease it to, to start off here, um, especially when the World Economic Forum continues to say, you will own nothing and you will be happy if if the rest of the world around us buys into that, uh, hopefully, God willing, Christians who have an opposite view, no, we will own as much as we can for the sake of the glory of God and the building of his kingdom, um, and while the rest of you are actually miserable, then then we will actually be in a position of strength as opposed to the rest of the world. Man, and it skips down to an article that was in Bloomberg this week, Danny, and it was it literally said over the past decade, ultra-wealthy individuals and their firms, and we know who they are, right? Blackstone and, and BlackRock, BlackRock yeah. uh, have more than doubled their investments and doubled their investments in apartments, largely in a sector known to the U.S. as multifamily housing. And we see this all across the Idaho Valley, across the Treasure Valley. We have these yep. community of two and three bedroom homes, small homes on posted stamps lots, and they're all rental. And they're all rental. And that is a a super scary thought that they are these these rich liberal fascists are literally c- consuming property and driving they're up, happy to own property and driving yeah. up prices such that small families cannot afford it and it really should afford us to think differently i think that's that's you know and you know i've been thinking about this how do you mm-hmm. how do we do this in a way that effectively counters that how do we allow younger couples to invest in land and, and have private property, exactly what the Bible talks about. So this is this is an important topic. It really is. And it's it's literally right in our treasure valley right now. Yep, absolutely. Well, let's uh, get into uh, just a couple of the, the scriptural elements. We've uh, already teased this out in a couple of, of the previous episodes. Um, but it really comes back down to the, the Ten Commandments really codifies the... Uh, as with the assumption of private property, uh, private property clearly is is envisioned and is exemplified uh, before Exodus chapter twenty. Um, but in the seventh commandment of uh, "You shall not steal," uh, you have there the um, the presumption of and the valuing of private property. And again, as I I'm not there yet in our in our series. On, I just wish we were in Exodus twenty, Danny. Yeah, no, but I'm not. We're just, we are. It's just not we're not to not to uh, number seven yet. About a year away, probably. And <laughs> in, in in number seven again, each one of we have to remember each one of the commandments is to be looked at in its opposite as well. So when it right. comes to you shall not steal, then what would be the positive uh, opposite of that? Well, that that means then you should. Uh, you should work with your hands, uh, as as the New Testament even talks about, uh, providing for your own family, and, uh, and and that is the pursuit of and the valuing of property, and 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 that also goes into the idea of protecting other people's property. So when you're looking out for your neighbor's stuff, when you are um, when you are helping your neighbor, when you are uh, respecting other people's property, when you are careful to uh, when borrowing uh, someone's property, that you're returning it and that you're giving it back to them, and returning and, it well, and returning it well in 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 working form and different things like that. And so, we have built into the law law of God again re- a reflection of His character. Um, built into that is is this codifying for God's people a a good healthy sense of the value of property. When you say property, we're not just talking about land and house. We're talking about it could be, you know, your watch. It could be, you know, your car. Whatever you're talking about, it's the things that belong to you uh, that you have worked for. Um, whether you've purchased it, whether you've traded for it, but if it's it belongs to you, uh, that has value. And uh, and then this, another commandment, of course, is um, the, the the last commandment, the tenth commandment, relates to the heart of that. And isn't it amazing? That the, the the matter of the heart is codified in the law uh, re- relative to the idea of covetousness. That um, well, what is covetousness about? Well, covetousness is about the idea of property that you don't have, <laughs> right? <laughs> A property that belongs to someone else, um, and it certainly can. Um, and, and I don't mean to identify uh, people 
as property, but in the sense of the Tenth Commandment, the idea of, of not coveting your neighbor's wife, um, it, it, there is a sense that our spouse does belong to us. Yeah. Uh, not in the sense of, of a slave purchased with money, but in terms of of that which is um, under my care, under my management, yeah. under under my um, under under our our possession together. Um, those things matter, and so uh, basically desiring in the heart uh, something that rightfully belongs to someone else. That um, again, that that heart element leads to so many other problems. Uh, it leads to, of course, the other the, the breaking of the other commandments in terms of. Uh, uh, theft of property, theft of someone else's covenant spouse, um, the theft of someone else's life. Uh, covetousness is is the 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 root uh, sin of those other ones as well. And so, um, interesting that that uh, the other ones really have um, they all go to the heart, of course, but they have more of a tangible element to them. And, and we we we're, we know clearly what it means to steal and adultery and murder and so forth. But then when you get to the idea of of the heart of covetousness, it really relates to that which doesn't belong to you, and that you need to guard your heart. And that's that's true for all of us, and and that's a, a real significant sin. Is relates to other people's property, even just in your even if you don't actually go and steal. The Lord does know our hearts; He knows our our thoughts and, and our desires. And those things are are rooted um, in our hearts relative to sin and righteousness. And we talked about that last night. Even with the Bill of Rights, there's rights, but there's also responsibilities. So we have this: we have the right to have land, but in and of itself, or, or to take dominion in and of itself, it doesn't do you any good. We have a responsibility to work, but in and of itself, those laws don't encourage people to do anything they don't want to do. Which, by the way is capitalism. That's that's the whole point is God talks to an economic system and it is capitalism. There is no question in my mind. Yes, absolutely. And there's defined limits, there's moral limits, there's there's you've got right and wrong and it's your responsibility within that to obey or disobey, to be yeah, blessed it, or cursed. It it's not it's not a matter of um absolute independence wherein there are no rules, there are no um but there actually are guidelines, there actually is morality that is built in, but within those fences, there's freedom. And when there's freedom, then you have prosperity, you have the opportunities for, for growth and, and for building the, those, those things of wealth and property. Um, one of the things that, um, maybe this is just a, I don't know, what do you think, Jim, the idea of, of uh, Naboth's vineyard, is this a good as time as any? Absolutely, uh, because it's a great one. We, because we were gonna talk about the idea of, you already mentioned the idea of leaving your children an inheritance. And um, let's um, let's consider uh, uh, 1 Kings 21. It's a really uh, interesting passage, and you're familiar with some of the characters, uh, two of the characters involved, and this becomes one of the most significant moments in the, the reign of King Ahab. And uh, you'll also be familiar with his lovely bride. <laughs> She's uh, a beaut. Yeah, she she really becomes a a stereotypical uh, wicked uh, woman, and that is uh, Queen Jezebel. And in First uh, Kings twenty one, uh, we have the story of Naboth, uh, who had a vineyard. Now it came about after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, <clears throat> had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Nabal, you would uh, estimate to be a relatively well-off guy. His property is is next to the king's. So he's next door neighbors with the king uh, of Israel. And so um, Ahab, though, uh, spoke to Naboth saying, "'Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is close beside my house, and I will give you a better vineyard than it, than, than it in its place.'" If you like, I will give you the price of it in money. And so uh, Naboth it has this uh, this vineyard, but, it, but you can also tell that, that Ahab doesn't prize it. He doesn't value it in the same way that Naboth does, right? A vineyard was, uh, of course, something of great value and of, of honor. It was something that was um, really a prestigious uh, type of, of crop to have because of, of course, the the value of wine in those days, and and the the joy of of being able to have something other than water, as a for instance, 
and and you have uh, Ahab saying, I, I, I want your field, I, w- I want your vineyard, I'm just going to turn it into a vegetable garden, which automatically just lowers the, the property value, if you will. <laughs> right. And, uh, and so, but we have to keep in mind the background um, uh, of the reality that a family's land was portioned to them uh, by God. And, and that land was to be continue, continually passed down as an inheritance from generation to generation. It, it wasn't just something that you, you didn't just move around in Israel. Um, you, you largely were to have a portion of land that you continued to um, uh, cause to be productive. But Naboth said in verse 3 to Ahab, the Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So you have here right away, I've inherited this. This has been in the family for generations. Uh, This has been from the Lord. And so uh, God forbid, literally, is what he's basically, is what he's saying here, uh, that I should give up what I've inherited what my what my forefathers and that's another thing uh, Jim too we've so much of our china uh stuff is cheap and and it's mass produced and so forth um, we don't really value um heirloom type of things we don't value things as much that are passed down there's a lot of things some uh, that that we are just very disposable in our day and here's, of course, a, a vineyard, a piece of land is, is not uh, entirely a disposable thing here, but just just highlights the idea of, of Naboth recognizes that, that he's part of something bigger. There are people who have literally uh, sweat, blood, tears on this ground that he is working, and so it's a, it's a heritage. And so he's not, some, he's not something he wants to part with lightly, and he also recognizes that this is what God has portioned to his family over the over the decades. And so verse 4, so Ahab, so he basically, sorry, verse 3, Naboth says, no thank you to the offer. Yeah, and I think this is important, Danny. He values it differently than the king does. That's he, right. He values it much more. So the... the the value we would couldn't call give that, him enough money. We would call that the price that he puts on yeah. it is so much greater. Such an important concept as we think about events that are happening today. But keep going. I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Well, and so verse four. Now Ahab uh, came into his house and he's pouting. Right, he's sullen and vexed. It says because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, "I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers." And he lay down on his bed and he turned away his face and ate no food. He he just was so depressed over not getting, just what a pouting, immature kind of guy, right? He's pouting because he didn't get um, what he wanted. And so uh, what happens next? Uh, Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, how is it that your spirit is so sullen that you are not eating food? So he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Um, One of the things I just want to stop and come back to is the recognition that um, when you, you could let someone else work your land. You could basically sell it, but it was a temporary sale. And you would, uh, it would be temporary, it would come back to you, and then ultimately it would come back to you at the year of Jubilee. And so uh, this apparently was not one of those types of temporary arrangements. Ahab uh, wanted this for himself. He wanted to actually take this man's inheritance. He wanted to take this man's legacy for his own children. Because again, Naboth, uh, assuming he would have had a family and children, Naboth would have been wanting to give this and pass this down to his children. And so this was going to be an, a, a, a change in which the property would, would not go back to um, Naboth's family, and Ahab was wanting to assume this for his, himself and to basically broaden his own land borders. And, uh, and Jezebel comes in and suggests to him that, hey, wait a minute, you're the king. And uh, this is, again, a, a very bad view of government. Uh, you're the king, so you can do what really whatever you want, and you should be able to get whatever you want. And this is a this is a significant power grab, power move on the part of Jezebel, and really she's discipling her husband in the ways of of modern communistic 
uh, government takeover. Man, I'm so glad you made that bridge because th- that's exactly right. That is a Marxist behavior. And and Marx, Karl Marx is literally quoted as saying, from each according to his abilities to each according to his needs. Well, so be- because you're felt, king. Felt he needed. That's my point is because you're king, like you could literally, it, it leads to do whatever's right in your own eyes. It's just chaos. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so she says, uh, do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And so what she does is she concocts a plan where, uh, where basically Ahab, excuse me, uh, Naboth is brought up on charges of, interestingly, Jim, blasphemy. Uh, blasphemy charges were brought uh, by two worthless men, basically men who were bribed to give a false report that they had heard Naboth curse God and the king is what the, is what they say, and they they're brought before a council of elders. This has all been concocted. This is a sham of a trial. Um, it really, I think, there's a, a, an illustration here of uh, to the New Testament of uh, and, and Jesus even told parables uh, along these lines of of, uh, of of a vineyard and these and these terrible um, terrible people who have abused it and so forth and 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 so here they they just end up ultimately. Uh, stoning Naboth because he is found guilty on the charges on the testimony of these false witnesses. And so Naboth is killed. And so uh, in that particular way, Naboth loses the inheritance to give to his children. He loses his own life. And Ahab gets a vegetable garden. Now, one of the things that we, we mentioned, the idea of imminent domain, this is not a, a classic uh, necessarily imminent domain. It has some echoes of it. Uh, imminent domain, in theory, is that which is supposed to be uh, able to be confiscated uh, by the government for the sake, but it's meant for the sake of the common good, right? It's meant, it's, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll talk more about imminent domain in a minute, but, but, um, but in this case here, what you do have is you have the, <clears throat> the government in Ahab and Jezebel uh, through the, through a legal process by which Naboth loses his life, he gets the death penalty. Um, but the government illegally takes, violates God's law, and takes what belongs to Naboth for themselves, and uh, fairly for his own just personal benefit. Now, in this particular case, this has no. Um, again, this has no bearing on the common good for all the people. This is a selfish power grab for the king. Um, but what we have here, though, is, the pro- is, a, is an issue of the seizure of private property. And, and that's what eminent domain gets into. And there's been a lot of horror stories in our own country about the, the issue of private property being seized by the government. And um, that's a pretty serious thing, Jim. Oh, it's a big one. There's a great example. I'll give it to you. It's in New London, Connecticut, and it happened, let's see, it was recent. So it wasn't even 20 years ago. Um, the New London Development Corporation, which was part of the government of Connecticut, uh, claimed eminent domain on 70 or 80 homes, happened to be right by a river. So it was a very affordable, it was a very nice place to put things. Um, needed some needed some environmental cleanup, and that was kind of their justification for it. Um, but it was it was purposed to give it to Pfizer. Not only give it to Pfizer as a company, but... They had already cut a deal to pay Pfizer, give them tax benefits and all kinds of, of, of state funding of upwards of $78 million to incentivize them to come in and develop this. And uh, so this one woman uh, led a campaign among these, these homeowners, uh, went all the way up to the Supreme Court that it wasn't for the purpose of government taking it for good. It was for the purpose of government taking it giving it to another private property, another corporation right. for the purpose of making money. And so, well, but for the purpose of the greater good, Jim, the greater good, right? exactly. It, people's health is important. And so you need drugs. Exactly. So, so it went up to the Supreme court at that time, a liberal Supreme court, uh, the homeowners lost five, four. So they lost their homes. Uh, interesting is five years after that Pfizer took the money, never built the corporate headquarters there, pulled out, and to this day, that land sits empty. And so it's a great example of, uh, of just exactly the biblical example you're using where, where the, the government overreached for wrong purposes and it backfired coincidentally on them in such a way that the only people that got hurt through that, so, so none of the politicians got hurt, Pfizer didn't get hurt, the only people that got hurt, none of the judges were hurt, 
The only people that got hurt were the actual homeowners. And it just highlights the the problem of a lack of respect and care for people's property. And uh, the, we're, it's easy to bash the government uh, on these types of things, but it, it's certainly important. And that's why we have to be mindful of the, the challenges and the problems of, of when we approach a person's property with a cavalier attitude and with a, and with a, a self-justification as opposed to respecting and honoring people's hard-earned um, income and property and the things that they've worked for. Yeah, it's and, an extension and, of themselves. And we talked about it before. There's a moral aspect to this. There, th- these people were demoralized That's right. by losing their property. And so, and you know, we think of morality as, as belief, but it's more than that. They're, they're, they were demoralized. They were, you know, unmotivated because of the way that they were treated by the government and arguably betrayed. Yeah. Became yeah. less productive, uh, essentially. So, and, and it, it flips the role of government on its head because the, the role of government is to protect people's property. Right. Uh, it's to protect right. people's, um, people's opportunity to be able to produce and to, and to live. Right. And so when it, when it comes in to confiscate, those are dangerous precedents to set. Those are, are troubling times for those people. And, and it's important for us to, to be mindful of, of how important private property is to individuals and, and their families. And so eminent domain is one of those, uh, one of those terrible things wherein, um, wherein people can be, um, disabused of their, of their property rights and it be confiscated for the sake of, of the government's use of it. Or like you said, giving it to whoever they want. And uh, we won't get into the fires of um, Hawaii here at this point, but uh, oh, that'd man. be a great conspiracy uh, discussion, of course. But I don't the- think that's a conspiracy, <laughs> Jamie. <laughs> if you've got, if your fire department has to get permission to get more water to fight a fire from your city manager, move. Not only is there smoke, uh, <laughs> there's fire right. in that uh, in that scenario. But right. no, there's yeah, lots of uh, lots of nefarious. Uh, beliefs about what's going on over there with really the, the desire for other people to come in and basically take the property now that these right. uh, places have burned and stuff. So. And it, again, we talked about the moral aspect that we're constantly balancing the right to private property, our right to work, our, our not even our right, our, our responsibility to work. And as we do that, we're to live in a world with our neighbors and our enemies, unfortunately, as we saw with the, the example of the king. But we have to emphasize that that we have to show compassion and generosity, but it has to come from what we are. It can't be forced on you. And so, and again, we'll do a specific episode on on this: the idea of of voluntary generosity versus a taxed welfare system, which is oppressive because you don't get a vote on it. Essentially, you're, you're voting for your candidate. But you know, the amount of taxing and the amount of welfare and handouts that are occurring is uh, is at the astronomical level. And all it is, is, is truly communism relabeled. It's redistribution and uh, it's moving us towards, you know, why would I even want to work? It's, it's, it's trying to wear down men and families to why do I even bother? I'm better off just taking from the system. That becomes one of the things that we've been fighting, especially since I mean, it's been before, but especially since 2020, yeah. right? The shut, the idea of shutting down the idea of masking up the idea of, um, uh, of really talk about the the fundamental we can even get into this one too the fundamentals of private property ownership in terms of the, the owning of your own body right, right? The, the, the having a measure of, of of body autonomy is what people call it um, in terms of that that the right to uh, make decisions for yourself and that's right. what um, that's what property really is about too is the the um, ability to have a sovereignty little s over your little kingdom, right? Your the things that you have possession of; um, those are those are important things. And as you continue to erode and to um, go against and to and to and to cut off certain elements of these things, like you said, work and property and body and self, these are demoralizing things that really become that which is used by the government for nefarious purposes in the future. And then once again. It becomes well. Now you don't need to own anything because don't worry, 
big daddy government is is here for you because we love you and we're, we're going to care for you and we know we know best and it's astonishing when when you own it when you've built it when you've worked for it when you have bought it we care about it much more than if it's somebody else's you know there's a saying drive it like a rental car <laughs> you know what i mean like when you rent a car people essentially just beat that thing you know what i mean they race it and run it really hard or because they don't care about it mm -hmm. and there, there's absolute truth in that when it's built into God's design of of having purpose and actually building our character in owning something and going, look at what I've done with my hands and my mind and my abilities that God has given me. Look how good that is. And such an important concept. And when we when we give away, when we get into this welfare state, we see so many of these these poor homeless people who have a lot of mental issues, but a lot of it is just they've given up, Danny. They have no, there's no view of how they can be, how they can succeed. And God has a plan for that. So No, that, that's good. It just reminds me of, um, again, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, the idea that, you know, in the smallest of things, Jim, the eating and drinking, uh, there are ways to glorify God. And what you're, what you're pointing to is that um, all of these elements of life that relate to physical things, property, uh, money, uh, possessions, the, those are ways, they're vehicles for actually bringing glory to God. Because it's from the really from the smallest thing to the greatest thing, uh, everything is an opportunity to glorify Him. And uh, that means it's a, uh, these things are spiritual. It's so funny because we were talking about, we're studying eternity in our Bible study, and we were talking about the things that you cannot do today that are in eternity is we can't see Him, we can't see what God looks like physically. We can't be in that presence right now. Um, we can't touch him. We can't smell him. We can't eat, right? So all of our senses, the things that we use in the world is what drags us to the world. But if we live by faith, if we turn our faith over to God here, then it's just exactly what you said, Danny. All of those senses glorify God all the more. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful thing of, of living now for eternity. You know, Colossians 1 talks about that and Colossians 3. And it's just this beautiful idea of we can use the senses. We either become of the world or we can use them to glorify God. E even now, when we put a piece of bacon in our mouth, the pleasure that we get that God allows us to get because he's given us that sense is truly overwhelming. No, that's really that's really good. Well, let's, uh, let's go back to uh, what you said a little bit earlier. Jim, regarding the idea of capitalism, you said that capitalism is is really God's system. Yep. Um, it's really what is it to begin with? It, it's a system of voluntary human relationships in which people exchange uh, goods and services, exchange property, exchange things that are valuable on the basis of the peaceful means of exchange. So it, it is. It's time to, again, of course, add more detail to that general picture. And for one thing, capitalism is, is not economic anarchy. We, we already mentioned that. It recognizes several necessary conditions for the kinds of voluntary relationships it recommends. One of these is the existence of inherent human rights, such as the right to make decisions, the right to be free, the right to hold property, and the right to exchange what one owns for something else. And so capitalism presupposes a system of morality. So you, you start with rights, you, you start with morality, you start with um, individual dignity, you start with an assumption of the rights to private property and right. so forth. You, you, you start with the, um, the assumption of equal weights and measures and honesty, right? Those types of things are, are, are really baked in and assumed. Yeah. And you know, I'm not a huge, it's not that I'm not a Trump fan. It's just that I don't, I think he's just a man. So, but, but he's constantly in the news. And so I have to bring this up because he's literally back in court now. They're after him because he overvalued his, his Key Largo, Mar Largo property. Well, guess what? <laughs> just like in the story, if he thinks it's valuable, if he thinks it's worth $10 billion, it's only it's only worth that if somebody pays for it. And so what what he values at is completely irrelevant and yet our government or some crazy DA in New York has decided that it's prosecutable and and it just demonstrates the insanity of the world that we live in right now that they are they are so after Trump 
it's just so obvious. Not that with equal weights and measures. It, they are seeking right. any measure of doing that. And so if, and my attitude is if they can go after him, then they can go after any of us. Oh, and that's absolutely that's the, the danger. Case. That that is the case, and so that's that becomes. This is why these things are important for us to know and to care about, right? Uh, because well, you might not care about Trump's, you know, doing dealings, right? But the reality is, is that they they reflect on what the government is seeking to do right. and violating the principles of freedom and morality. And it's representative of this next election in 2024. If 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 they steal that election or if things go the liberal way, it will get even worse cuz cuz they can't do anything but who they are. So, right. Well, in this in, in capitalism, um, it, it does not encourage people just to do anything they want. Everybody uh, a mis a misidea, a misunderstanding of capitalism is the idea that it's built on greed. And the idea is actually that it's it's built on the system of love. And we'll talk probably more about that in another episode. But there are, there are of course, limits and there are morals um, through that in which people understand how they should exchange goods and services. But capitalism uh, should be regarded as a system of voluntary relationships within a framework of laws that protect people's rights against force, fraud, theft, and violations of contracts. And again, these have God's law underpinning them of you shall not steal, also you shall not lie, and are they're part of the underlying moral constraints of the system. And economic exchanges can hardly be voluntary if one participant is coerced, deceived, defrauded, or robbed in the process. And so when people exchange freely their property, their actions promote economic uh, progress. But uh, so this really gets into, uh, again, the, the way in which people have possessions and private property, and then how is it that they engage in, um, in business with, with property, right? And it's funny, the marketplace, as we call it, God's, God's beautiful pricing system of supply and demand determines that. And so if, if you build a low-quality whatever, and it doesn't do well in the marketplace— you learn from that. Like that is a lesson. You know, losing is a good lesson. Sometimes failure is a very good thing. And so you, you adjust and you go back with something that's more valuable or you work harder to understand what people really care about and then you deliver something that's valuable. But the opposite of this is really socialism and communism. And, the, and I've, been, I've said from the pulpit um, several times um, the recognition that socialism is an ungodly system. And this flies in the face of, again, of a lot of uh, evangelical teaching and thinking today, which again, socialism and capitalism, they're just two worldly systems that the Bible is not in favor of one over the other. And so you have a lot of people today in Christian circles that are adopting and, um, and really promoting the socialistic values and policies uh, of, of, for government in, in a way that um, I think some is ignorance. I think I think some they are they're they're wolves among the sheep, but th- it's really they're promoting a system of of God hating ideology which is built on theft. Socialism is built on theft, and it, it and it comes down to this issue of private property once again because what what socialism and and which is the the government of communism. Uh, it, it is it is where the means of production and the property rights of of individuals and families are swallowed up by the government. The government is the owner of those things, and which it it, it has sometimes the appearance of private property ownership. But uh, this is this is going to get into a, a little bit more of why we are less and less of a capitalist society, because uh, the ro- private property rights come down to matters of sovereignty. It comes down to the matter of control, authority, decision-making power. We talked about authority is the right to make a decision. If you have no authority over your property to do with it as you will, again, within the bounds of, of, uh, of God's moral um, values, but if you don't have the rights to decide what to do with your property— then, um, then you actually don't own it. The regulators own it because the regulators come in. This is one of the reasons, by the way, I can't stand um, homeowners associations. Right. 
because it gives the illusion like you own your property but you uh, in in theory but the reality is is there is a a a group there is some there are other people who are in control of your property telling you what you can and cannot do on your on your property supposedly your, your property should be all those things right, right? what color your garage doors are allowed to be right. and how long your uh, your trash cans can be out in front out of your house right. or whatever what all these different things because what you're dealing with there is the is the issue of control and if you don't control your property you de- what what is this thing of ownership it's really nothing it's meaningless and what's happening today in in our country that is pro- progressively moving in a socialist direction is when you have everything regulated to the hilt what you're what you're ha- what you're doing what you're showing is is that the government is claiming a measure of ownership we talked about we mentioned this before the idea of taxation that that f- not not just taxation generally but it's forced taxation wherein if you don't pay your taxes you you will actually forfeit your property that means that the government is claiming ownership of it and they're renting it to you danny i was just i was just researching and this is not related to property but um, the cost of education in the United States per student for not not for college for for high school and below is up to up to twenty thousand dollars per student in Idaho it's over twelve thousand and that is not voluntary like if you homeschool you're still paying that twelve thousand like that that is a, a demonstration of what you're talking about is even if you opt out of it you are still paying into the system and they would tell you they control it right I mean ultimately. Well, yeah, and that that'll get into. We'll have to deal with the whole subject of taxation in another episode. But yeah. the idea of, of, um, yeah, compulsory um, taxation, uh, really, but with the threat of the sword, um, I think that you're getting into some um, some territory that I, I think we have to to really question and we have to work through uh, that subject. I, I had talked with my dad about this subject a, a little while ago, and the. He, he actually went to real estate school. He was going to get his real estate license. I don't remember if he actually f- finished or followed through and got his license. I mean, he might have, but we didn't end up going to, it was, I think it was Arizona that we were thinking about going to. But anyway, the um, he was saying that he even learned in his real estate courses, uh, the people were talking about, really, um, the government uh, owns your property. They're just willing to rent it to you. Because that's what pro- that's what property tax has become, and and, and I was talking with Brandon about this too, as Brandon is running for office, and this idea that uh, for the government to be able to seize your property if you don't pay your taxes, um, that's that is an immoral thing because it, it again it highlights and identifies you don't have the right to your property. Right. The government has the right to take it from you. Um, should they again, they can tax you out of it. Right. Uh, if you can't afford to pay your taxes, uh, et cetera. So there's, there's, we have to do some thinking and some, some work in this area. But this idea of communism, socialism, it, it's, it's where the government seizes those, those means of production, which is property, uh, whether it's, indi- whether it's individual, you yourself as a, as, as a, a sovereign individual, uh, or the things that you own, your business, your home, et cetera. These things become um, become part of the government's system, and they control everything. And when if you don't control your property, you really don't own anything. Really important. Well, finally, we'll uh, wrap things up on this next area: this idea of property rights and individual responsibility. Um, really, be, being able to um, provide for your family with property um, and, and to develop property and to grow your property. Uh, those um, those are really important for uh, spiritual exercises because they speak to matters of individual responsibility. First uh, Timothy uh, chapter one, excuse me, chapter five, verse eight. Uh, Paul writes, "Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever." Well, that's a pretty serious verse, would you say? <laughs> that is incredible, isn't it? We just don't think through this enough of our overall responsibilities. And this is, again, why we want to teach on this. I think it's important that we we understand how important this piece of scripture is in our lives and, and what that means, even in terms of planning economically. Now, again, I was very blessed that my sister's a hospice nurse. And so we've talked for over 20 years as my dad got older. So when he turned 70, we started the discussion of, you know, when does he stop driving the RV? When does he stop driving the car? And 
we didn't follow that plan perfectly, but we had a plan. And I think that that's so important. Um, a lot of my family is non-believers, but that helped me plan for my own inheritance, my own finances, and how to to understand what we're going to do with them. If we needed to put them into a home, it probably would have been more of a burden on me, but that's that's a responsibility I need to be aware of. And so we need to bring all of these things into view so that we can understand God's total plan. Well, we talked even this last Lord's Day uh, about the idea that Jesus indicted the religious leaders of Israel over their dishonoring of their parents. Right by failing to have resources for their care in their older years, yep. uh, that that they had, uh, they supposed that they were gonna be giving all their resources away to, 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 to God. You know, uh, it was Corbin, it was set aside for God. And so therefore they didn't have enough of their own resources to care for their parents. Sorry, you're out of luck. You should have planned better. You should have saved better. I, as your son, am not able to care for you because I have taken um, my what would have been for you. So I, identifying, look, there are things that are are planned for and set even set aside for right. the sake of parents of honoring them and caring for them, right. which you're describing what you were doing for your dad. Right. Um, those types of things, Jesus indicted them for saying, you're violating the commandment by not honoring your parents and being able, willing and able to t- to care for them in their in their uh, older years. Yep. Those are important responsibilities. Right. And and to the point where Paul says, if you're not, if you don't care about the economic, private property responsibility um, that that God has given you, then and, and for your for your family for 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 fulfilling your duties to your family. That's a, a denial of the faith. How how is that a denial to, of the faith? It's a denial of the faith because you're denying the the law of God that you've been saved unto. Like, oh no, I don't. I, I'm a I'm a Christian, but I don't need to. I don't need to keep the, the commandments. But Danny, it's a grace only gospel that's out there today. I mean, this is just just unbelievable. The amount of the cheap grace. The I, amount of people that have this cheap grace out there, and unequivocally, we believe that by grace alone. Our justification, saving part of our sanctification is by grace. However, even in that, how do we know that we're sinful and what do we repent of? It's the law. And so you can't separate, you cannot separate God's attributes. And the law is part of his attributes. It's part of his justice. It's part of of who he is and it's good. And so you don't get to say, oh, well, that's not required anymore. It just doesn't work that way. Not at all. Doesn't work that no, way. No, Christianity is is not a fire insurance policy right. wherein you just use it when you need it at the very end when you're facing judgment and you say, I get out of judgment free here because of the grace of Jesus. Right. Paul is saying, no, if 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 you have been identified with God by in, in Jesus Christ, and yet you turn your back on all that which would be pleasing to him and honoring him by way of his commandments. If you love me, you're keeping my commandments. Well, you're denying that you love him. You're denying that you that you trust him and believe in him because you are uh, are shirking the responsibilities that God has clearly and basically designed and laid out for us in His Word. And so, if you're gonna if if you're gonna not care for your family and take the responsibilities with the property. That God uh, has blessed you with, and 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 shun caring for them, providing for their needs, then that's a denial of what you think you have. Yeah, it's crazy. A really important one. And then finally, uh, the parable of the talents is another really good uh, good passage. Just speaking principally on these matters, um, and again, an important narrative related to property. And it's, that's found in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. And in the parable, a master entrusts his servants with different amounts of money, expecting them to invest and grow his wealth. The idea of investment, the idea of, of not simply um, uh, wasting or squandering or just sitting on the, what, the pr- resources. What decisions are you going to make with what you're given? Like, right. you know, how are you going to take this and use it to produce something? Absolutely. Right, and uh, it, it's a it's meant to. It, that's one of the one beautiful things about the world God has created is that we're surrounded by everything, even if in commerce, even in business, even in banking. Uh, you're you're surrounded by spiritual lessons. That was a parable speaking to the ordinary things of economics, the ordinary things of investment and stewardship, 
and using recognizing that within all of life and in all of these things, uh, you're able to see the spiritual realities um, that are that are under undergirding it, right? And so that's Jesus was able to. That's one of the beautiful things about good preaching is that you can draw upon nature, you can draw upon the humanity, human nature, you can draw upon the order of God's design and his and his economic system and and you can identify that these things are all intertwined with spiritual truth. We think about right marriage. Well, marriage isn't just a relationship between a man and a woman. No, it it actually has spiritual uh, imagery that is woven into it. Well, in this particular parable, Jesus is pointing out that within the economic uh, economic understandings of of stewardship and investment and in labor and in property, there are spiritual realities that are also woven into those into those ideas. Hundred percent. Well, that, this has been a wonderful discussion, but that's all the time that we have for truth today. And we want to thank you for joining us. And until next time, we hope that you will grow in your relationship with with the Lord and with the local church, as we are sanctified in the truth. God's word is truth. <laughs>